What are you anticipating seeing, you know, amongst the New Zealand teams, given you've, you've given all that about the All Blacks? Oh, just so many good young players, mate. I don't know how you do it there. Oh, I do, because you've got three of the biggest uh, academies in the world. Fiji, Samara and Tonga. They're not bad. Oh, we were waiting for it. I was waiting for it. G'day, good evening, good morning, welcome to the Dropped Kickoff for another week. My name is Nick Wasiliev and we are back here recording about this dreaded Rugby World Cup, well dreaded if you're an Australian fan, but this dreaded Rugby World Cup uh, as we have now crossed the final pool stage game for the Wallabies, uh, and which we'll be diving into in a whole bunch of detail and probably also talking about the very slim, slim, slim mathematical chance that we actually get through to the quarterfinals, uh, but... Uh, let's not hold our breath. Uh, as usual, I am joined by the usual suspect, Nathan Williamson, who looks notably much more relaxed, happier. He looks like he's a couple of days off has done wonders for you, mate. Yeah, look, it's it's nice to actually get some time to breathe. You, know, you don't usually get it at a World Cup, but this, I think we're calling this a bye period for the Australians. I don't know if it's bye or goodbye at this point, but probably the latter. <laughs> But, yeah, it's been nice, you know, pun intended, being in the south of France, just kind of debriefing, relaxing, and forgetting what the last two weeks has happened. So, so the question I ask you is, have you finally gone to a whole bunch of vineyards, and have you, and at Nick Hartman's request, have you have you tried escargot yet? I've not tried escargot yet. I'm waiting to get back to Paris to do that. But, yeah, so we've been sampling plenty of the local products, put it this way. Good man, and I hope you and I hope you have been drowning your sorrows. The other person who will be joining us again, making their debut on the dropped kickoff, is a man again. Plenty of Gagger fans will know very, very well. Carl Kiwi Aussie rugby lover, whatever we call him. Welcome, mate. It's a pleasure to see you. Albeit you, for all of our people who are watching, if you are watching, you're in an All Blacks jersey, which uh, hurts me a little bit, but I wouldn't expect anything less. How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really good to be here. Um, first time I've done a podcast. I'm bound to make some mistakes, say some swear words. I'd just like to put out right now that swearing is part of our culture. And so I'll take that up with HR if you hold it against me. But um, yeah, no, really looking forward to it. It should be fun. Mate, after another last week, I think we'll, uh, we'll be set for some smooth, <laughs> for some smooth sailing because uh, that podcast that did the rounds and uh, he, he, Said he'd stop, he, he'd try and hold himself back from swearing, but you listen back, you know he didn't. Uh, <laughs> so, to, finally, we do have a win to talk about, a second one of the year, which is, of course, Australia knocking over Portugal 34 to 14, getting that bonus point, and now currently sitting in second on the ladder. Uh, they have no more games left in the pool stages. They have played all the rugby that they can play, um, and we are now basically sweating on the results of Fiji playing Portugal this weekend to determine if we go through or not. Um, Nathan, I'm going to throw it to you first for this match because I don't want to, like, put a word on this game. I, I think, like, it, it's just... It's it, it's so easy to, to summarise so simply, but if I could describe one this game in one word, it was fine. It was fine. Do we agree with that? They got the job done. Yeah. My my word was enough. They <laughs> did what they had to do to qualify to keep their hopes alive. You know, got the bonus point, but there was nothing where you kind of. If this was the last game, you're not going to say. So that was a great great game to end on. You know, we're looking 
looking forward to the future. It was, yeah, like they got they got the job done. Portugal looked really good. I'll give them the credit. They played yeah. a really expansive, exciting style of rugby. But the fact that we're saying this, the fact that we're—it's kind of a moment that hit me, where you go, you know, two months ago, three months ago, we were, we were leading the All Blacks comfortably in Dunedin, nearly had that, you know, Tate scores in that end of the first half, we're ahead by almost 16, 20 plus. How have we now got a situation where Portugal is putting pressure on our scrum and we're defending for our lives? It's like that was the reality check for me of just what the hell's happened over the past couple of months, but. In terms of summarising the overall performance, it, it, they did enough to get it done. That's about it. Yeah, it was got the job done. It was that, that's that's just how it feels. Carl, uh, did you get up early for this match? And uh, if no. so, how, how do you feel? How, what about What are your thoughts? So I got up. I got up and I watched it on replay, but I made sure I watched it without looking at any social media or anything first, so I didn't know what the score was. Um, I think that I tend to agree with you, Nathan. It was enough, but I'd say it was barely enough. There was there was some good points in the game. What I saw from the game is there was some really good individual play by individuals, but there was no cohesion. No one seemed to understand what was happening. No one knew what they were planning to. There didn't seem to be a, a clear direction of we're doing this because this is what we want to happen next. It, it was a whole lot of individual play, and I think we got through because the individuals were good enough, but the team as a whole wasn't. I feel like you just summarised like every, every Australian fan's nightmare watching. You come back because you see those little nuggets of, of absolute gold in there, uh, but yeah. then how it all comes together, it, it's like, I feel like it's, it's you know, you watch a, a movie that has, that it comes together terribly, but you, you watch those one or two scenes of great, that are just amazing to watch. And there's a great movie in there somewhere, but it's, it, it's just hidden through. And it's, it's yeah. such a frustrating thing to, to, to look at because, oh, ooh, oh, I can see where they're coming from. It's, that's the yeah. cold hard reality. You know, and, and, and you see something good happen. You know, Valentini makes a good run or Callaway makes a brilliant tackle and you're thinking, this is really good. And then what the fuck? Something <laughs> stupid happens. And it's like, what are these guys thinking? You know, but but there we go. That, that's been Australian rugby this year. So, you know, I guess it lived up to expectations. Maybe that's what, what we should say. The game lived up to expectations. <laughs> It just feels like those kind of individual moments have become more pronounced over the past couple of weeks. You look at Wales, yeah. you look at the attack there, it was, you know, as I think I said last week, you give, give the ball to Mark or give the ball to Marika and hope for the best. It's kind of had a similar sort of impact. I guess we'll get into players that impressed, but there was a couple of people who just sort of lifted and just, just it felt like at some point, moments just went, all right, I'm going to put this table on my back and make a result, make something happen. Instead of a formulated game plan to break a team down and sort of yeah. then reap the, reap the sort of team rewards afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like some of them got pissed off with what wasn't happening and decided, you know, let's take the game by the balls and do what we want to do, and it worked. Mm. Yeah, it, it honestly did feel like that in some instances. And let's talk about those players that stood out. I know both of you guys have, have kind of talked about a couple here. I think I think... It's fair to say in in this shit show of a of a, of a World Cup, I, I think it's fair to say that if when it comes to to, to people certainly leaving with higher stocks, Rob Valentini's got to be one. 
Angus yep. Bell, I think, also played a yep. stellar performance. I mean, it is hard for any prop to to, to put together a 76-minute performance um, the way that he did and still be uh, really, really strong, even when, you know, they were struggling at scrum time at the, in the latter half of the match. Um, and I also thought Marika, he just got involved. You know, he got hungry. Looking, he went looking for work. And it, I, I saw some stuff today that, that apparently he's considering hanging up the boots after this World Cup, uh, which um, would be a huge shame. Bec- and, and if that was the case, he went out hungry, wanting to still try and make something from nothing. Um, Carl, who were, who were the were those who were those the players that really stood out to you? Were those the ones that really made you go, yeah, those are the ones producing um, good bits of work? No, nah, I'm going to piss off everybody here because I'm not a fan of Marika. Um, I think that initially he started off doing quite well. He's certainly dangerous when you give him space. He certainly tries hard and gets involved. Um, for every big hit he does, he misses four. Um, <laughs> for every four that he misses, he's out of position for four more. Um, I I don't rate him as highly as a lot. I, I mean, he is good, and and you, you can't fault his desire to get involved. Absolutely, you know, and and you've always got to love players who do that. But technically, I don't think he's developed into something that I'd consider as good as what a lot of people do. Um, I actually was most impressed with Callaway, and the thing that impressed me the most about Callaway was that when they went for reserves to bring the reserves on and they took him off and they put on Vunavalu, he didn't go up and punch Eddie Jones in the face. Um, <laughs> if nothing, if nothing else, if nothing else, that impresses the hell out of me because he was a standout. He was covering everybody. He was running well. That, that tackle he got to save the try, you know, he came from nowhere because the defensive structure is so stuffed. And he made a brilliant tackle, and yet they pulled him off and they put Vunavalu on. They put Marky Mark to fullback, and they leave Corabini on, who had missed at least five tackles. Yeah, my man of the match for not punching Eddie James is Callaway. Look, I think it is. Un- I think everyone, the more that you, you see Callaway perform, the more you wonder why the hell he was cut from the team at the yeah, start of the tournament. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He, he's he's one of the Best, smartest thinking backs in the Australian backline. He, he understands the game. He's able to see what's happening and he's able to put himself in position. And and yet they take him off for some dumb Mungo League wannabe who's never achieved anything. I think you can you can for Kelly you can extend that to one of the smartest footballers in general. Just when you listen to him speak and. He's one of those few people that understands the game in the sense of yeah. He under, but not only understanding the game on the field, he understands it off it as well. In the sense of like, I wouldn't be surprised if by the time he call he pulls it up, so you know, calls time in his career, three, four, three, five years down the track, he's in a commentary booth already with Stan or off already in a coaching system. He's just got, as you said, such that not only such a rugby rugby brain, but understands. Yeah getting into sort of, you know, setting himself up for life after rugby as well. And he's just, yeah, he's yeah, one of those people where you speak to and you say, all right, you're switched on, you know what you're doing here. So it doesn't surprise me to see him translate that in the field where he's making tackles like he did. And, and for me, he's been he's been the first choice fullback. I think he's saying consistently for, for this year. So it's good to see him, you know, the last two games, him being back there and making a difference. 
Nathan, what do you think about the forwards um, in terms of performance there? I mean, yes, there was that period of time where the, the Portuguese scrum was clearly just a lot more technically proficient at pushing our boys back and were applying pressure very well. But, I mean, we've talked about Bell. I think personally Nick Frost has had a, a decent, an okay tournament. Not, not Obviously not, not, but he's clearly a good class enough player and has great potential. Um, Len steered in the right direction. Is there anyone standing out from this game from a uh, from a from a forwards perspective that made you go, yeah, look, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing the makeups of a of a player or a scrum or a front row that could be really competitive and aggressive and dangerous come a Lions tour in 25. Man, you already mentioned, but the person I thought who was man of the match in the game was Angus Bell. Yeah, I think you look at you look at his impact plays. He um, off that line-out from the 22, he runs the, like a perfect flat line to get the ball over the advantage line. A play later, Valentini finds Arnold for the try. You know, a couple of minutes later, Portugal building momentum. He gets over the ball and gets a turnover. Probably one of the first ones we've seen from a prop this, at, at this tournament from an Australian perspective. Donaldson nails the kick. They go down. They score. You know, with Portuguese, Portuguese guys still in the bin, he, you know, takes a couple of tough carries up, and then goes himself and scores. So in the space of eight to ten minutes, he's had three involvements that has ultimately got us got us the you know three out of five tries that we scored. You then, as you said, he goes seventy five minutes, looks consistent. Um, yeah, the scrum was kind of was lackluster at the end, but it was also thirteen men. I think there was a lot of people that were trying to get out and just cover space. Mm. We got. But rather than trying to like lay the platform for a dominant scrum, so I can't exactly put that on him. But I think yeah, he leaves with his stocks absolutely raised, and you know, he's set set himself up as just the cornerstone of that front row for the next four to six years. Likewise, in terms of a pack like Bobby Nick Frost, I thought Fraser Gripe was good as well. Seemed to get through a mountain of work. He's also very underrated and just getting himself in the right position in terms of backing up people and maybe not backing up in a sense of, you know, being there for the that final pass to score, but still enough to clear, clear out, keep the play alive when we've been very one out this tournament. So I think there's enough pieces there that suggest that this could be a very good pack heading into Lions and World Cup, but you're still going to – I think you're still maybe one or two pieces short, maybe maybe someone like a Will Skelton when fit from properly seeing how this pack – can you know take it to the rest of the world and maybe even thrive? It does make me realise. I, I kind of had a bit of a, a moment where I thought to myself, you know, the, the big challenge that has always been universally discussed, particularly around Australian rugby in the last few years, and of course before we get even to the discussion of coaching and pathways, was before then it was depth. And I had a moment where I realised, holy hell, our tight head prop stocks are actually looking pretty good. Yeah. Because uh, Bell is clearly a world-class prop. He's hungry. He's got the sort of things that Lockie Swinton doesn't. Which it, uh, it's it's a I know I'm going to bring it up again, but he brings the aggression, he brings the physicality, and he brings the go forward, and he doesn't lose his head and become a liability with his discipline. He's I think he's that is how what I want to see in him. Um, and you've got Tupo who, of course, is recovering from injury, uh, but excellent, similarly physical and excellent. And then, of course, Al Alatoa. 
who is also a world-class prop, um, tight head prop, which, you know, and if John Eels taught me anything, it was you built the success of the success of your entire team off your tight head prop. Um, and we've got the makings of three really great world-class tight head props there, which is just such a positive, um, for our pack. If only we could sort out the damn hooker situation. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, then we have the makings of, of just a lethal and very dangerous front row with depth, which just, it, it does bode very well, assuming they can be coached properly. Uh, and on that, let's move to, the biggest what the fuck question mark moments. We've, we've gone around them for a while. Uh, we've talked about individual brilliance here plenty of times. Yeah. Carl, rip in here. What the fuck's going on with the, with the setup and the and the and the structure and the coaching? What's going on? Oh, I I have two issues. First of all, what's the game plan? Because I don't think anyone knows it. Um, and and that's why I think they're struggling when things don't quite go the play by numbers is because they don't understand the game plan. Or, or maybe the game plan's too complicated for them to actually get into it. Um, you know, they, you know, this, this whole idea that, you know, possession rugby is dead, kick the ball, only run it for three phases, then get rid of it. You're watching them play and it's almost like you, you see a guy want to pass the ball and you think, oh no, that's right, I've got to kick it. So he kicks it. And, and it's just, you know, why is that done? Um, the biggest question for me, though, is what the fuck does EDC and Vunavali? I I just don't get this. You know, um, you know, you hear all these things. Oh, he's improved. Well, yeah, it's not hard when you're coming from a really low bar. Improving looks good, even when you only do a little bit. There's nothing he does that tells me he's ready for international rugby. And and so my my two what the fuck? So what the hell does EDC in in Vunavali and what the hell is the game plan? What are you trying to achieve? Because I don't think anyone knows it. I certainly can't see anything from watching the game what a game plan is. Just, just on that first point as well, I think it's, if you watch back the last sort of five or ten minutes, I think that's the best sort of example of what Carl's saying. You look at a guy like Isaac Fiennes with Luasa, a guy who was yeah. picked on taking the line on, bringing that speed, finding a gap you know, and exploiting it around the ruck. You could even and say he's that. really good at it too. Mm, he's good. He's very good. Yeah. But it's that thought process you talk about where you can say even in his head, he sort of makes that first step of, oh, I said gap, I take it on. And then he goes, oh, hang on a minute. I've got to kick this. And then kicks the ball away. Yeah. And you go, that's not what he's in the team for. That's not what got him into Super Rugby. Oh, sorry, yeah. going from Super Rugby to test level. He's a runner first. Let him do it. It's Yeah, I think it's the, the – I, I understand that – this was the only opportunity that Eddie was given. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, the host, the biggest hospital pass that you could possibly have being given six matches to prepare a game. And, and obviously this was a, a particular type of rugby that Eddie has been trialing with England for the last 18 months. This positionless rugby that we hear so much about where the structure changes every single time and becomes nigh on impossible if you're on the defensive side to try and read. It makes you harder to, to, to pick a, to pick, make a choice, pick a decision. But if he genuinely thinks that he was able to, you know, first of all, sacrifice those five or six games uh, and say, oh, yeah, we're going to play a completely different style at the actual World Cup, you're a fucking moron. Like, you're making the... I'm sorry... <laughs> You're gonna make the t- you're gonna make the players learn this structure. We're not gonna use the six games that we have preparation, which is already thin enough, 
and you're going to make it, and we're going to learn this 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 positionless uh, rugby style uh, during the World Cup. No wonder the players have no idea. It's complicated stuff. And and with a completely different team, and a whole lot of people who haven't been part of the team for a while, so they don't know anything about it. And then the players that have been part of the team that might actually have the brains to assist in doing this, they got rid of. You know, I, I, I read today um, a comment about how people think that Quade Cooper got left out of the team, not because he was old, not because he might get injured, but because he questions what Eddie Jones says. And and I sometimes think there's probably something in that. You know, um, when you look at the, that last press release before um, press media show before he came over, it came across to me as somebody who had a plan about how the media conference would go and he wanted it to go a particular way. And when it didn't go that way, he lost his plot. So Eddie comes across to me as a guy who's who's got a huge control freak, wants things to go his way. And when they don't, he can't handle it very well. So he goes on the attack. And, and I'm, I'm wondering how much truth there is in, in those rumours that, you know, Quaid's not there because he did question Eddie and uh, wouldn't surprise me in the least. I'm not sure about the rumours, um, but I do think in terms of that questioning and that sort of bridging, like someone that would have bridged that gap would have been a guy like Alan Alatoa, a guy yeah, who's absolutely. for the players, but also um, I think is willing to sort of, sort of speak his mind and play that devil's advocate role. I think his loss in terms of that leadership perspective is something which isn't talked about enough. And I think because he, he is the heart of the Wallabies team. That's why, yeah. you know, pe- people ask the question, why, why wasn't Tony Alatufo starting? And you talk about those sort of depth and tight heads. Because, because Alan is one of the best leaders we have in Australian rugby on and off the field. And I think his presence has been lost. And you look at, I think it's, I think it was the old scrum coach, Petrus Duflessi, put out a video where it was him, Quaid and Hooper in that, I believe it was the Gold Coast test against South Africa in 21, where you can see from the huddle's perspective how they calm the guys down and, you know, rammed home the key points that they were wanting to sort of get out of the next sort of five, ten minutes. I think we're just missing that as well, which is sort of clear to see on the field. I, I think it's also no surprise that the best our midfield looked was this test, where we had those combinations. We had that Waratah 10, 12, and 13. I think if you're going to play that and play a new game style like we have, you need to at least have some familiarity within your team, whether that be go back to your sort of state links or back to those that have played together while he's in the past. You know, you compare it to a, a centre pairing that's, I think, last played at the 2019 World Cup, as opposed to Fichetti and Parisi, who had been playing week in, week out. You know, yeah. Parisi makes a break and Fichetti's right there to support him. Like, it, it, made, it made such a difference, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought um, the midfield actually didn't play too well, too badly, to be honest. They, um, I thought their defence was better too, for the same reason that, they, they knew where each other was going to be because they'd played so much together in the past. They knew what was happening. Whereas, you know, it's nothing against Karevi and his defence or not, but Karevi and Fokete didn't, didn't really, Fokete, sorry, didn't know where each other was going to be. So, you know, it was, and, and that just gives you that half second delay to then get ready to do what you need to do. So yeah, very good point, actually. I will say though, I think I did see, like the the centres has always been a position that I think I've been quite worried about. Australia 
has looks like it has a lot of promising outside backs. That 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 the forward pack looks to be coming into its own in terms of that. We've we've got loose forwards for days. We've got scrum half. We've got a, a growing number of scrum halves. We've got a lot of promising fly halves uh, that are coming through the ranks. Um, the centres has always been a place where I've been worried about our depth because you, traditionally you would have gone with someone like a Karevi or an or an Ikitao, uh, and Ikitao is just he is a fantastic player. Um, and obviously previously Paisami, but obviously he's gone down the ranks a bit. So I was curious and keen to see how Parisi and Fichetti would go. And I think I wouldn't say they are at, at uh, aggressive, competitive, world-class level yet, but I think right now they did enough to suggest that they can blossom and grow in gold from this performance. I think there's a lot to build on there. Parisi needs to learn the role of a centre and... And well, maybe he needs to. First of all, Jones needs to work it out. You know, when you, when the centre <laughs> to me is the guy who organises the back row. He, he organises on defence. He organises on the tack. You know, my my biggest concern with the All Blacks at the moment is we've got a centre who's a really good rugby player, but he doesn't know how to put people into gaps. So we've got a really good back three who aren't doing anything because our centre doesn't know how. To, you know, you have to have a centre who sets play up for others not looks for it himself. And, and I think that Parisi still needs a little bit of work to go there, um, but he's certainly demonstrating that he can do it, and I think it's more coaching than anything. So let's talk about the biggest surprise um, from this match. I think we, we, let's, we've flushed the, the, the crap out of it, um, and I feel it's, it's almost impossible not to go past Portugal. I think this is an important time to talk about how good yeah. Portugal is. I think if there's one thing that we've really, that I think all of us have, have really learned and picked up on is that we should no longer refer to tier two nations as tier two nations because it feels like such a backwards term um, because you're seeing the likes of teams like Georgia, like Fiji, routinely starting to challenge the, 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 the upset, uh, routinely challenge and upset the apple cart. Um, and they're playing great rugby. I found myself really enjoying uh, watching Portugal play, and not out of a underdog way, because it was just genuinely really enjoyable to watch. Nathan, you were there live. What was? How did you find it? I mean, they had an idea of what to expect from the Australians. And, you know, they mentioned beforehand they were expecting that seven style of open play, keep the ball alive. But I just I think the sort of the crispness of their skills, particularly in that first fifteen minutes, really sort of caught people off guard. And Portugal, I mean, Portugal as a nation, is a sporting nation, are built off emotion. So, Senedian uh, as well, having a big um, Portuguese connection as well, helps kind of foster that energy and that sort of will them on the first 10 to 15 minutes. But, yeah, the way they executed, the way they just kept the ball alive and just, you know, played that seven-style rugby. It was, you know, the closest thing, they're kind of just like the European Fijians from five or ten years ago. <laughs> In the sense that they just kept the ball alive, there was offloads in, in behind, people, you know, they knew people were going to be running those lines in behind and just throwing it back and hoping for the best. And you can tell this is a team that's kind of built their rugby through the sevens and then gone 15s, rather than the other style of kind of get that grinding into a game and, you know, that you might see from a Georgia or a, you know, someone along those sort of lines. So it was a really exciting sort of way of playing the game and certainly made it an interesting contest. 
their back three was superb, you know. Yeah, um, they were. They were trying to do, they tried to do something every time, and a little bit of school let them down every now and then. But yeah, and I think the other thing is that these guys, you know, coming into the World Cup like this, not getting a chance to play some of the bigger teams more often, they just have a huge passion. They just want to play rugby. There's none of the bullshit. They're just out there to have fun, make the most of the moment, play the best they can, and and it's just gorgeous to watch. Mm, it's infectious. It, it, it's the yeah. it, it's it brings out the joy of rugby that I think for a lot of fans like us made us fall in love with the game in the first place, which makes it just yeah. so much more uh, refreshing. And particularly when when you know teams that we're supporting aren't doing very well. Um, it, it just makes you realise, uh, remind you of why it is such a joyful game, why it can bring so much joy. And even if they don't win, it's just you can see that they're taking this opportunity that they get by the scruff of the neck and, and giving it everything they have. And it's infectious. It is so infectious. And I, I want to. I'm glad that you mentioned the, the back three. I thought they were amazing. Mark, um, you know, Rodrigo Marker is such a good. Winger, and I also just want to shout out there um, in the centres, Appleton. Um, I thought he did a great job uh, moving that back line around and yeah. really serving as a great centre. I think there's so much, just so much to to look at and observe and watch and go, hey, there, I can see so many exciting games going forward uh, where he features. And, and that's the challenge, isn't it? Getting them to have games so they can keep developing on this. Um, you know, part of me wonders if it's, you know, are, are some teams not giving them the games because they might actually end up losing. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, um, you know, let's keep these guys down where they belong while, the, you know, gin-swilling bloody uh, people running world rugby only look at the top sort of people in the and that they've they've always had. But but that was great. It was fantastic to watch it, and the and the the fans, you know. Mm. Um, just, just the when they score because they're not expecting it. You know they're trying hard and everything, but God, when they score and the fans go up, yeah, you know you want to pull on a Portuguese jersey and be yeah, part of it. It's just so much fun. Yeah, and and the the Os Lobos fans, you could hear yep. the the wool the, the the cry around the crowd uh, whenever yeah. they got involved. Like you can, t- it's passion that you can you can rec- you appreciate and yeah, recognize. Absolutely. Mm. And not just pa- not just passion that oh we're up we're in this game we're winning it, this was a oh Portugal's playing let's just rock up just yeah. It's, it's yeah mentality and funny the way sort of the Sanedian Stadium is built is very football it's like it's a football stadium that's been turned into a rugby ground so it wasn't exactly kind of railings in between it was like sort of advertising and then back to that sort of seats rather than seats railing and then like actual sort of not secure. What's the word I'm looking for? Actual kind of partition. Partition. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So there was yeah fans. Not fan fans. Partition onto the ground. It was just fans and a little bit of advertising onto the ground. So you got to a stage where there was just happy security in front of just like a wall of security in front of the Portuguese fans simply because like they were if they scored one or two more tries they were running onto the field to kind of. <laughs> <laughs> It's such a – that's been the biggest culture, culture shock for me. Like, they're just we'll – ch- Australia will chant result-dependent. You know, if you see that they, they're under pressure on the line or on attack, that's when the crowd gets going. These guys just do it because that's – it's expected. You go to a game, you chant for your team, 
if they're losing, yeah. you still chant, and you just keep going for it. So well, it's been it's been an awesome addition. Even even if they don't come away from this tournament with a win, Portugal has just shown that they need to be in part of World Cups and yeah. more Tier One sort of games heading forward. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they don't walk out with fifteen minutes to go sort of helps too. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it is a different subject. Before we 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 dive into, I think we we dive into that one critical fixture that really determines the the Wallabies outcome involving Portugal and Fiji. Um, let, let's let's touch on that topic a little bit more, Carl, with you and observing uh, the current state of Australian rugby. Because I mean. We've all of us have talked about it till the cows come home. Here, I think uh, our listeners and, and a lot of gaggers, uh, readers and such have probably got uh, a pretty clear sense of where we sit on the whole on the whole matter. Um, all of our conversations from Nutter's podcast last week certainly talked was certainly discussed quite a bit more. I've, I've seen the amount of comments of people of people saying, "I'm going to go run through a wall now." After hearing that, was uh, <laughs> was quite encouraging. Um, you're you're in a unique situation. Obviously, you've been involved with Gaga for a very long time, but you are indeed an All Black fan and uh, you know uh, a strong supporter of New Zealand. Where, like, as an outs kind of quote unquote outsider looking in on the Wallaby situation, where talk us through this. What are you seeing here? It's interesting, eh? Because like um, I referee in the in the local Sydney um, suburban rugby. And, um, and it's great. It, it's, it, in a lot of ways, actually, it's done in some ways better than they do in New Zealand. I love, I love the way they get two clubs together and they play the whole grades all in one day and, and all the fans are there and it's just fantastic. Um, my, my biggest complaint with Australian rugby is, has to do with the pathways and the setup of Rugby Australia. And, and I make the comment and, and we talked about it earlier, you know, from what I'm seeing, the only thing that's gone professional in Australian rugby is paying players. Everything else has remained in an amateur state. You've got pathways that are different. You've got states that are doing different things. You've got Rugby Australia that is beholden to a couple of clubs in different areas and so have to do what they say or seemingly have to do what they say. And and I think it's just not professional. You know, you've got fantastic players um, all the way through, but they're not being coached properly and they're not reaching their potential because they haven't got a pathway that enables them to grow. You know, you get a you get a guy playing for the Wallabies who can pass quite well to the left but can't pass to the right, and he's playing for the Wallabies. You know, how does that guy get into a senior club game with those lack of skills? I, to me, that's the issue. You know, um, RA has to strip things out and go professional. The problem is I can't see them doing it because I think there's far too much egotism in there to allow them to make the decisions that need to be made. That there are people there who are a big fish in a small pond and don't want to lose their power and are more concerned about how they and their and their precious little club goes than they actually are for Australian rugby and until that changes I think it's going to be difficult to go forward which is a real shame because I love my rugby over here I love the suburban games and yeah there's just some great players that aren't being given the ability to reach their potential. Uh, Long time friend of the pod Fitzy put out an amazing comment a amazing tweet that I think summarised Australian rugby so ridiculously well um, that 
that nails this whole point that you're kind of talking about. I kind of use it in the term of, of you know, warring fiefdoms or warring fight, yeah, just yeah. warring fiefdoms. It's just like no one's actually on the same page, and no one yeah, is kind of, no one's actually thinking. Fitzy kind of said the tweet was that rugby in Australia, too many people only concerns concern themselves with their backyard, e.g., my yep. school slash my club beat my arch rival slash won a trophy. So everything is good in the world. And yeah. I, I think there needs to be a, I completely agree. It's just so, it's so backwards. It feels so backwards thinking about rugby in that way, shape and, and form. And I feel like rugby clubs should do the impossible, seeming impossible and take the approach of, well, we are rivals off on the field and I'll beat the snot out of you for 80 minutes. Yep. But off the field, uh, you and I need to be talking constantly to ensure that this yep. actually can continue. It Absolutely, just... and and that's how rugby works. You know, it's the same as players. You know, you you know the number of times I've got into a fight with a player on the field because rucking each other and ended up getting into a bit of, a, and then the first thing we did was buy each other a beer when we go back to the club rooms. You know, and and that has to happen to the clubs too. You know, they've got to work together because this continual working against each other, working, you know, New South Wales versus ACT versus Queensland versus RA versus the clubs, it's just getting us nowhere. I think you sort of you look at this whole debate, it's kind of with the Brumbies and centralisation as well. This idea of, yeah. oh, Brumbies, they're, they're going to take our licence away. It's kind of like, that's centralisation. Controlled, controlled at the top, then feeding down everyone, so making sure everyone works at the exact same goal, at the exact same pace, working for yep. the, the common goal. Like, people want to, people are complaining about that, being like, oh, how could they? How dare they? It's like, no, no, this is what has to happen if you want to be working on the same page and not have five different strategies trying to, trying to attack the exact same problem. I, I the trouble do. is, the trouble is RA's got no trust. Exactly. Yeah. After what happened to Western Force and and all of the stupid things going on at the moment about you know I can't afford to give you all the money I'd give you ACT but I am going to give millions of dollars to this league player who played schoolboy once and was quite good and we're hoping he'll solve all our problems. So, you know, Australia rugby Australia has to win that trust back. They can't force it on people. That's the point there. I don't like you. Essentially, we're at the stage where. If you want to buy in, my, my, my thought is, and my bias thought is, you have to just, you have to buy in. You have to, yep. yeah, understand that if this is, this is the option, you know, understand that yes, you can understand why people will be upset and bit, no, I don't want to use the word fragile, but a bit kind of pessimistic about giving licenses away given yep. what's happened in the past. But if you don't trust it and you go, we've, we've seen what happens when you go essentially by yourselves, it's not working. Again, We've, we've got to try this centralised approach that hasn't really been done properly. So it's, this is the time where you just got to trust it and everyone works together so you can, one, minimise the risk and two, maximise the reward you can get out of it. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think um, if they, look, they have to go down that path or they'll go nowhere. Their challenge is going to be set up centralising in a way that allows the franchises to believe they still have some control or, in fact, do have some control but from a centralised manner. And, and I think they can do that. I do I do understand and get both of your points around franchising, and, and I, I do have some hesitation around it 
Um, and I think there is, there was, you know, a lot of talk around, around complete management going to, to Rugby Australia. And I do agree that there is, I do have reservations there myself around it because of that level of trust. But also because I think that maybe if you had a situation similar to what the, you know, New Zealand runs where they have, where you have the actual player management and player contracting all centralized, but no one, but the, but the actual management and marketing actually lies with the franchises. Like I don't see because Australia is such a diverse place. Um, I don't see someone in Canberra. I don't see marketing for a Brumbies game coming out of an office in Moore Park. I see it's better if it comes out of an office in Canberra. Um, and that is where the, like by someone who knows that audience, similar to, you know, if you were someone, you know, from the Western force and you were, and you were marketing a, a Western force game in the West, it would make sense coming from someone who actually is there, understands the, the local supporters, understands the local language of rugby. Um, but look, it's a, it's a big discussion point and yeah. You, and I do think it's one that some form of centralization needs to happen because at this point it's as mentioned it's war it's warring victims. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, you've only got to look at Rugby Australia trying to promote the um, games in Melbourne when they they get together for that weekend. Uh, you know, that was a dead set failure, wasn't it? So maybe give that to the Rebels to look after. Mm. Well, on that matter, let's let's talk. This final weekend of of the pool uh, round, which is uh, we are literally relying on on Portugal. We are our hopes are completely pinned on them. To, the only way that Australia can get through to the quarterfinals is if uh, Portugal beat Fiji by a margin greater than eight, and Fiji scored less than four tries to earn a losing bonus point. So n- Fiji have to get nothing out of this match. Uh, We've talked about Portugal a little bit here, um, and Carl, I'll throw to you first. I mean, is there any way, hope in hell, this is going to happen, and why is Fiji going to win this match? (laughs) (laughs) Fiji by 25, mate. They aren't going to throw this one. I think um, last week they got a scare. They, they, I think they were focusing ahead a little bit. You know, one of the hardest things to do in rugby is is to look at the game which you're expected to win. And you've got a bigger one coming up. And, and I, I've seen so many times when all of the top tier one nations, let alone anyone else, has failed at that. So I think that's what happened with Fiji. Um, they would have learned a lesson from that. They're not giving this one away. Um, Rugby Australia, sorry, but start booking the tickets. You ain't, you're coming home. Nathan, is there anything you can say to counteract this point? Because <laughs> I'm in complete agreement with Carl on this one. I think as much as I do love Portugal's flair and they have a magnificent backline, there's no delaying the inevitable here and in how good Fiji have been playing this tournament. If we were, from an Australian perspective, the Wallies were any chance of qualifying, last week was the game. Like, yeah. I, I can see Portugal potentially holding Fiji to. Less than four tries, but we, we, from an Australian perspective, we needed Georgia to close out that game, um, and they ultimately didn't. The reality of this is, you know, this Fijian runs a fairy tale, and you know we want to think that we're on this fairy tale run ourselves. You know, new coach, new players. The reality is, we are just living the other side of their fairy tale. We are, we're the, kind of the, I don't want to say the villains, but we are just like the other side of every kind of 
you know, sports movie that you see in your life. You know, whether it's, I don't know, like the dog that randomly turns into a football player is now catching balls and beating our team. You know, we're the, we're the team cop and the buzzer beater, and this is just another kind of example of it. We're just kind of, this is just kind of building this, this sort of Fijian story and narrative, um, narrative, and we're just on the other side of it, and we've got to kind of accept that. That, you know, this isn't going to be a miracle performance that from Portugal that they somehow not only beat Fiji, but beat them by eight plus. Yeah. Like, we're just going to, it's just not going to happen. They just play, I think they just play too similar a style to Fiji as well from a game perspective that ultimately they're going to be, you know, playing the fast, loose, open seven-star football that Fijians live on. So it's going to be, it'll be a high-scoring game, but I tend to agree that Fiji do this comfortably. Yeah, and on top of it, it just, for me, it just feels right that Fiji go through. <laughs> they burnt it. They burnt it. They've earned it, and it would be wrong if they were to trip at the final hurdle now, and even if they were to lose and, and for some reason not get through. Because, it, it, let's be honest here, if Australia somehow does manage to get through and we're playing a quarterfinal next week, um, Let's be honest, we're not going to beat England right now. <laughs> we're not beating England right now. And, uh, I mean, obviously they're, they're, they're guaranteed qualification whether they top their pool. Argentina still has a say in that. But uh, there is no, like, we're not beating England. It would, it, if it's not ending this weekend, it's ending next weekend. Put us out of our goddamn misery here. Um, <laughs> it's all kind of how I feel about it. And let's just accept the fact that 2023 has been a pile of shit. It's one of those ones, if if the upset was to happen, then this is, this is our Bradbury moment. Everyone's, <laughs> everyone's pulling up the kind of hurdle, and this would be our chance to all of a sudden put it together. And I mean, knowing Eddie, he's probably got the plan to beat England, ready to go. This has probably been this entire thing. It's just been him, like, just finding a way to get to England and, you know, enact his revenge. But... Yeah, I, yeah, as much as I w- would love to say it happened, and by, you know, 9 o'clock over a Sunday, I probably would have talked myself into saying, you know what, Portugal aren't that bad. They can <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ultimately, I just don't see it happening, and this is going to be... Nah. I and mean, Fiji would have deserved their place in the quarterfinal if they can just... All yeah. I have to do is just close this out. Mm. Yep. The, the eternal optimist, you know, it's all, it always comes out... So oh, it it always is for your team, you know. It is, um, you know, and that's it's one of the things that 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 makes rugby so good. We, you know, you you, you know you're going to lose, but you're still in there. You're still supporting your team. You're still hoping it goes through, and yeah, that, that's just part of rugby. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It is. Well, to finish off, lads, I'm going to finish with a with a quick question here for you both. Um, with no rugby on this weekend, from an Aussie perspective at least, I know uh, what, what is and uh, and I know that uh, Carl, you've got a, an All Blacks game that you'll get to enjoy uh, this time on yep. Friday morning. Um, where is one place in France if you if you were in France? I mean, obviously Nathan, you've got it in a literal sense, but uh, Carl and I, you and I, just have to imagine here for a moment. Yep. Um, where, where is one place in France you travel to if you were currently? you know, taking a break from supporting the Wallabies or the All Blacks for that matter, where would you go? Um, I'd go to the D-Day landing sites. Um, obviously, you know, um, my, my career, I've 
40 odd years in the New Zealand Army. Um, one of the reasons I'm such a supporter of Australian rugby is because almost every year I served with Australian soldiers um, somewhere in the world. So I've got a huge feeling for the ANZAC and, and the military in me. So, yeah, I'd, I'd head up to the D-Day landing sites. So I've seen pictures of it. I've had mates go there, and it looks pretty moving. So I'd go and have a look at that. Oh, that's a great pick. I love that. Yeah. Nathan, what about you? It's tough to argue with that. Um, you know, when we're head up to Paris for the semis and finals, that's number one on the list to go visit. Um, I'm going to pick the other side of France, go around that sort of Nice and Monaco area where, you know. Oh, yeah. Relaxing around the beach, just enjoying enjoying the sun while you can. And go, just kind of go, going and looking at all those pretty girls in Monaco with their big big fat um, boyfriends and, and wearing bikinis sitting on those yachts. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Just sitting back, relaxing, and just kind of taking yeah. taking it in, taking the sights in. Well. Yeah. yeah, amen to that. If I was if I was there, and again, Nathan, I'm so jealous. I would be off to Champagne to because I mean everyone talks about sh- uh, the actual sham sh- the actual you know de- department of Champagne and they're and they're apparently having the best sparkling wine in the world. I want to I want to put it to the test and see how yeah. good it is. So I would in- go around to a few wineries and enjoy some sparkling wine at the hands of the uh, at, at, at the hands of the French and see uh, what the hype is all about. If it, if Champagne indeed earns the name. All right, all right, lads. Well, it's a uh, it's a bye weekend this weekend, which is very weird. We'll have another podcast dropping, which uh, uh, near the closer to the weekend. We'll restart our World Cup bites, where we talk about all international sides, and uh, Carl will be joining us for that one as well, where we talk about not just uh, in other international teams in general, but also let's focus in and dive a bit more on the All Blacks, uh, with them pretty much nearly being locked in for a quarterfinal as we speak. Um, yep. So it should be exciting to watch there. But cheers, everyone, for listening to the drop kickoff once again. Uh, let's be honest, if this, if this is one of the last times we talk about the uh, the Wallabies this year, and I have a feeling it isn't, uh, thank you for coming on what's been a pretty rough ride, all things considered. Um, and let's be honest, I have a feeling when, when the boys return home, it's going to be a long, difficult and rough fallout. So, yeah, uh, feel, I feel for them. You know, they... I actually really feel for the players because they've they've given it, and you can't can't hold that against them. Mm. So I hope this whole experience is turned into a learning rather than it's sort of scarring the players heading forward, and they can yeah. use this to fuel rather than this whole this affecting their growth because there's there's so much potential, and they are just again in, incredible people that deserve a lot more than a quarter um, not making the quarterfinals. Yeah, well, thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you the next time around. Yeah, I think that's a really silly question. You know, rugby's a game of 15 players on the, on the field. When we're attacking, we're attacking weak defenders. We're looking for weak defenders. Why would we run at the strongest defenders? So if Martin's there and, and sorry, what's your name? Nick, and Nick's there, we're not going to run a Martin, are we? <laughs>